Welcome back to the peripheral. It's been a crazy couple weeks. I got my mom out of the physical therapy facility and back home. Also, Aaron and I went and filmed for a TV show. That was interesting. I've been gathering more interviews for the peripheral because I was running short on stories, believe it or not. I just got a crazy story about someone being arrested and I would like to pair it up with another story. So if you have a crazy story of a time you were arrested, please send it to me. It doesn't matter if it's 15 minutes or an hour long story. I don't have any preference there. Also, I had another interview with a police officer that had fallen through. So a special call out to any law enforcement out there who has a special story about life behind the badge. Please write to me at theperipheralpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Also, a promise to all my Patreon supporters, additional content is coming, so you just didn't sign up for nothing. I will be posting some stuff out there. I have posted out there asking you about what episode you want next and giving you guys some interactions, but I need to get better about it. On this episode, we're talking about why we don't report rape. The number of unreported rapes is unmeasurable. There's no telling how many assaults happen every year, how many people just don't bother with trying to come forward with it. So on this episode, I speak with two different women in why they couldn't report it or what happened when they did report it. And that was more or less the main focus of their stories. Our first guest is Lisa, and she was in the military. A quick warning, the conversation gets very passionate. I cuss a little bit on this episode because the subject matter bothered me. Normally, I try to let my guests do all the cussing, but adult content ahead. Hey, Justin. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Awesome. Sorry for the confusion. I should have confirmed what time, so didn't mean. It's to. all right. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. I'm like, I'm uh I'm I'm actually in a hotel with my uh, dogs. I'm working in a different area today than usual, so okay. I was just gonna let you know if the uh, maid comes by knocking, trying to get me out of here. <laughs> no, no problem. And if the the dogs start barking, we'll just chill for a minute until they calm down. And all right. Let's get into your story. So you 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 grew up in a abusive home? Yeah, my my father was very uh physically and mentally abusive to my mother and um I I wanted out and realized that as soon as I graduated high school I needed to get out of that house and uh no one had ever gone to college in my family there was no money to go to college and so I the only way I could get out was to join the military it's just I couldn't find another way so my junior year of high school I uh, joined uh, the Coast Guard. The uh, Gulf War was going on, and I chose the Coast Guard because I was—I'm uh, from the West Coast, and to me, the Coast Guard was the police, the fire department, and the EMTs all rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were still very involved in um, war; always have been, despite uh, what people think the Coast Guard actually does. But yeah, yeah. I figured it was my best chance to not end up in a sand dune somewhere uh, and still serve my country and get the hell out of my house. So when I signed the paperwork, it was funny. I don't remember why, but it was actually my dad 
that went with me to sign the paperwork because I was too young. I had to have an adult sign saying that um, I could join because I wasn't 18 yet. I, I did the same thing you did, and my mom had to be there to sign it. Yeah, but I don't know why it wasn't my mom. I'm not. I don't remember why my mm-hmm. dad went with me because my da- we didn't have a good relationship. I mean, my dad was the person I was trying to get away from. Yeah, yeah. And he was a veteran. He he served four years in the Air Force. So my last year, my senior year of high school, I was just waiting uh, for to, to graduate and go. And I actually left for boot camp five days after I graduated high school. Boot camp for the Coast Guard is still in Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, I had never seen the Atlantic Ocean, so that was pretty neat. Boot camp was good, and I, I was really glad I made my decision. And I was in the very last group of women in the Coast Guard. Uh, the Coast Guard was co-ed. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but it was co-ed boot camp. But I was in the last group of women in the Coast Guard uh, that had to cut their hair. And so the the women a week later that were coming through didn't have to cut their hair. And uh, I remember being around a bunch of women and I was thinking, well, this is kind of neat. You know, we're the, we're the last ones. And so I think the rule was you had to cut it like above your shoulders, but we all decided that we were going to go big or go home. So we all got our hair cut like an inch. I had this boy cut, which I had never had, which was uh, kind of funny. And I was really proud. I mean, I was looking forward to, you know, some adventures because I scored really high on my um, entrance tests. They let me pick where I wanted to be stationed or they gave me five choices basically of where I wanted to be stationed. And um, I picked Hawaii. Oh, why not? Who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I and mean, they're, they're like, would you like to go to uh, Baltimore? Uh, no. How about Wisconsin? Uh, no. How's Hawaii sound? Yeah, I'll take Hawaii. That sounds great. Before I left for Hawaii, though, I went back home and I actually worked at the recruiting station for a while. Um, they had an opening and it was really fun. Um, so I spent, remember how long? It was at least a month might have been two months uh, at the Coast Guard recruiting station uh, recruiting new soldiers. And they were excited to have me because I was a woman and I could talk women into joining the Coast Guard. So it was a while before I made it to Hawaii. But um, the day I got there, I flew in. And when I landed, there was a Coast Guard guy there to pick me up. And he said, there's another woman flying in an hour later. uh, So we're going to hang out, wait for her. And I was like, oh, cool. Two of us on the same day. So I was like, that's, you know, clearly we'll end up being friends because we don't know anybody. She was from New Orleans and she was about two years older than I was. And uh, so this guy picked us up. He was really nice. We were really excited to be there. And we get in this normal car, just a human, regular human car. And I'm not like a tank or, you know, whatever I was thinking would happen when I got to Hawaii. Um, (laughs) And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to take you to the station. And I'll show you guys your rooms. He says, but uh, one of the guys is having a going away party tonight. So um, we're actually going to go over to his house right after. We're like, okay, great. I mean, we, you know, we don't know what we're doing. So he takes us to the base. And it, he told me there was 176 people total at our base. And nine were women. Mm. So we were two of nine. I thought, wow, I didn't, you know, really didn't realize it was going to be that big of a difference. But okay, you know, whatever, it's mm-hmm. fine. We get to the to the barracks, and the building is round. And I remember thinking, I have no landmarks. When I get back here tonight, I have to remember where my room is, and the building is round. So if I don't memorize this number, so I remember 
trying to find a pen to write it on my hand because I was scared I couldn't I wouldn't be able to find my room because the building was round, so I had no landmarks. Ah, cool. So, awesome. it, it I had never been in a round building. It was kind of freaky. Yeah. But anyway, so we we drop our luggage off and we we're back in the car with this guy and we're going to some guy's house for a going away party. He's some coastie that's being transferred to another duty station. So we get there, the three of us get there, and this place is just packed. It's wall-to-wall people. Music blasting, booze everywhere, people dancing, people partying. And we walk in, of course, when there's only nine women on a base, and we're two and we're brand new, we walk in and everybody was like, oh, these are, you know, these are the new the new re- recruits and yeah. here they, here they are. And so it was like a, it was really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, um, these guys are married. So they had their wives at this party. And I quickly realized that many of the wives were also military and were at other bases. Okay. So I was like, oh, okay, there are more women around here. It's not going to, it's not, it's not going to just be n- nine women for the next four years or whatever. Um, so I'm 18. Uh, the other woman's 20. And of course we start drinking and it wasn't my first time. So I, you know, I, it wasn't a big deal, but we definitely were drunk by the end of this party. I think we were probably there for four hours, four or five hours. And, and they kept plying us with alcohol and that was it was fine. I was drunk and I kept thinking, okay, would be a bad idea to get caught underage drinking on my very first day when I'm in the military. That would probably not be a good plan. Yeah. So I started to get a little wiggy at the end, just like, are we going to get in trouble? And I kept asking this guy who picked us up from the airport. I'm like, are we going to get in trouble? He's like, no, it's fine. We're, it's fine. And so he said he's going to take us back to the base. We go back to the base. I find my room because I have it written on my wrist. As far as I, I know, I, I, I go to sleep. And um, I don't know how many hours later. It could have been five minutes. It could have been four hours later. Who knows? But I woke up because there is somebody on top of me. And they're naked. And they're big. They're pulling my sweatpants off. I realized there's, I know I went to bed alone. I know that I locked the door. And then I thought, well, maybe I didn't lock the door. And I'm having this panic attack. And re- and all the things you think you would do, and women think, you know, we think about these things. What would you do if you're in this situation? Everything I thought I would do, yell, scream, scratch, bite, I just froze. I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't open my eyes. I was too scared to open my eyes. And I decided to play drunk at this point i'm stone cold sober but i decided to play drunk and i started to kind of push his hand for me and i was saying like i just picked a random name i'm like bob not tonight i'm tired bob leave me alone he would think that i'm drunk and that i think it's my boyfriend or whatever and i realized my heart is pounding so hard that there's no way he can't feel it and I'm like, this this is not going to work because he's going to realize that I'm faking. My just my heart is going a million miles an hour, and I just kept up the charade. This guy was heavy and big, and he put his fingers inside of me, and I put my hand on his wrist, and again I was trying to play dumb, and I was just like, Bob, I'm not in the mood, and I 
kind of managed to get on my side. And all of a sudden he got off of me and I, I'm, I, I can tell he's standing up now. He's off of me. He's standing up and he's still in the room. And I just waited and waited and waited. And I don't know how long he stood there. I mean, it felt like forever. It was that he was standing next to my bed. Mm-hmm. And I could feel him standing next to my bed. And I'm thinking, is he going to leave? Yeah. And if, if he's not going to leave, you know, now he's not physically on top of me. And I realized, I, you know, there's nothing in this room. I just moved in this room. I don't have a lamp I can hit him over the head with. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, there's nothing I have. Eventually, I hear him start get, to get dressed. And then he walks out i mean is he coming back yeah and i just froze and i could hear him walking down the hall and again the building is round and i heard someone go hey how are you doing and i heard somebody else go hey good you and i realized this guy is in the hallway and just saw someone else in the hallway and they know each other and And, but the building's round so i don't know if anybody saw him come out of my room Mm-hmm. So, and he's having a ahead. casual conversation with somebody right after this. Oh like, yeah, totally. And I jumped out of bed. I turned the light on. I locked the door, and I just spent the whole rest of the night up, just frozen, with the lights on. I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I think it was like we had to. It was like six a.m. or something. We had to be up. And, and ready to go at like six the next morning and again it's my first day and I put my uniform on and I show up to where I'm supposed to show up and there's like 15 of us there and I realize I don't know who the guy was I, I don't know what to do he could be standing right next to me and the girl that came in with me the night before I want to tell her but I, I don't have a chance to they go off and assign us to do whatever we're assigned to do. And I spent the whole day thinking, is it that guy? How about that guy? Is it that guy? What about that guy? It, there's a hundred and something people on this base. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the guy looks like. And you heard his voice and, in an echoey hallway. Yeah. You know. And even if I had heard his voice before, come on, I would, you know, how would I? I was drunk at a party. Maybe he wasn't at the party. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I spent the whole day just trying to hide what a panic attack I was having all day. And then at three o'clock, like we're done for the day. And I grabbed the woman that had come in with me and I said, I need to talk to you. And we go into my room and I said, this is what happened to me last night. And she said, who is it? I said, I, I never opened my She said, what do you mean you never open your eyes? I said, well, did you lock the door? And I said, I'm 99% sure I locked the door. For the next few days, all I can do is look around and try to figure out, is there anybody ignoring me? Four or five days go by, and this woman that I have seen on base who mows, I don't know what else she does, but she mows the lawns on the base. Mm-hmm. And she wears these blue overalls. They have white hand paint marks on the butt. And I'm thinking, like, I'm in a uniform, and she's got white hand paint marks on her butt on the base, and this is what I've seen her wear every day. Mm-hmm. And... She comes over to my room and she says, hey, I came to introduce myself to you and the other woman who came in this week. So I grabbed the other woman from next door and the three of us are in my room and I told her what had happened. And she goes, well, we need to get a lock on your door. We need to get like a deadbolt on your door. 
at this point, I'm thinking, sounds good to me. I mean, I know I don't. I, I'm I'm underage. I was drinking. What if they accuse me of somehow causing this whole thing? You know, I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what to do. And, and you're in the military. It's not like you can just leave. You're, you can't abandon no. your post. You're you're stuck there. You have to deal with the situation. And not only am I stuck there, I'm on an island. Mm-hmm. This is Hawaii. <laughs> okay. I can't. I'm on an island. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing she was in her mid twenties. She says, "Well, my husband is also in the Coast Guard. He's at a different base. Uh, when he gets off work, I will have him come over and we'll put locks, deadbolts on your guys' doors." So he came over a couple hours later, and I'm feeling better because now I have a deadbolt on my door. Because the, you know, every single night I'm waiting for this guy to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was two or three days after we put the deadbolts on, some soldier was walking through, knocked on my door. I opened the door and he he saw the deadbolt. I don't remember why he was there, but he saw the deadbolt and he goes, you can't have that. I said, why? He said, well, it's a safety risk. First of all, if there's a fire or something and we can't get in. Second of all, we have to be able to have access to everybody's rooms at all times. You can't have a deadbolt on your door. And he took it off. This is your only so, safety. This is your only thing keeping them out. Yes. And I'm told I can't have it. After that, just months went by. Uh, just me never knowing who it was. Me constantly being in fear of it happening again. We had a really small little bar on the base. And it was run by other Coasties. And so even though we were underage, uh, we were kind of somewhat allowed to drink in there because we weren't going off the base. And so I drank a lot. Um, I remember there was a, a ping pong, not ping pong. What do you call it? Um, <laughs> pinball. Pinball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in this little bar is a pinball machine. And there was always someone playing on the pinball machine. And I remember walking over to it the first time I saw it. And it's just, it's naked women. The pinball machine is naked women. I'm like, of, you know, of course it is. I'm on a military base. It's just like everything felt unsafe and, and nothing felt official or military-like. Everything just seemed to be so casual. And, um, and I, I think I just I wasn't expecting that. And so I, I drank a lot and I stayed out of my room as much as I could. And I, I, months went by of me constantly looking over my shoulder. And it must have been about four months later. The woman next door knocks on my door, comes in, and I said, what's up? She goes, I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a man on top of me. I said, oh, God. And she said, yeah. She goes, I opened my eyes. I fought him off. I said, who is it? It was the guy that picked us up at the airport. So the woman from next door came over and told you that there was a man on top of her also. And she kept her eyes open and recognized him as the guy that picked you up from the airport. Wow. Not only that, he was in charge of the building. So he had keys to every single room. And I realized, okay, there's no way to stay safe. Mm -hmm. He's got a key to my room. He has a key to her room. It doesn't matter if you lock your door. Once we've... No. The only thing that was going to save me was that deadbolt, and they took it off. And now that we know who it is, I also know 
he's married to another Coastie, and they have two children. And his wife doesn't work on our base. She works on a different base. But it just made the whole thing more disgusting. I had to work next to this man every day, every single day, day in and day out. I would say within six months, I was completely depressed, anxiety-ridden, and someone called uh, my the person in charge of me and said, she needs to go to the hospital. And they took me to the psych ward. It was that obvious. And yeah, I was a mess. I, I, I couldn't keep myself safe, and I didn't know what to do. And now it's not just me. Now he had done it to her, too. You know, and who else is he going to do this to? And who's going to believe me? And even if I tell them now, it's been so long. I'm going to say, well, why didn't you tell us when it happened? Like, it just was a no-win. I just felt like I was in a no-win. Especially when all the people you're going to tell are mostly men that work with this guy and have worked with this guy for years. Correct. And you're the newbie. You're the the nobody. You're the female. There's, Correct. I mean, I I get your your issue here. I I don't even know what you could have done. And on top of all of this, tail hook is happening. If you remember tail hook in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. If you want to fill in your listeners later, but the the down and the dirty is tail hook was an an annual conference with the Air Force and. It was uh, 6,000 military members, and that year, the same year this is happening to me, that year, 85 women were sexually assaulted at that convention. They were, the men filled the hallways, and, the, and any time a woman tried to walk down the hall to get to her room, to get out of the building, whatever, they groped, and they, they groped her, and they, they put their hands all over her, and they sexually assaulted these women. So this is big news. It's big news in the military. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> tailhook is a hell of a lot bigger than what's happening to me. There's more of them. There's more people. There's more women that can stand up together and say this is happening. I- I'm just me. And besides, I wasn't raped. You know, what am I going to report? So in, in my 18-year-old mind... Because he did not put his penis inside of me, the fact that he was naked on top of me and had his fingers in me, I was not raped in my 18-year-old mind. Most 18-year-olds wouldn't put that together. And, you know, it's not only are you 18, this is your first day at your appointed base, and you're in a different strange world. I mean, there's so many factors there that you're having to adapt to much less being attacked by a man in the middle of the night. Who I work next to every day. Yeah. I end up at the psych ward, and I think, I want to say it was like a Friday, because whatever it was, they weren't going to let me see a, a doctor until Monday. It was like two or three days I had to wait. There were a bunch of military people in this psych ward. It was basically a, a military psych ward. And I, everybody, everybody that I ran into were like, hey, why are you here? I'm like, I, I want out. I want to go home. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're doing too. And a lot of the people there were faking um, psychiatric illnesses to get out. They kept telling me, listen, here's the deal. All you got to do is tell them that you're going to go home no matter what, that you'll either go home in a body bag or you'll go home on an airplane seat alive, but you're going home no matter what. He says, if you tell them that, they will, um, they will discharge you. 
three days later, whatever it was that I finally saw a doctor, I said, listen, I didn't tell him what happened, of course. I said, listen, I'm going home. I'm going home in a body bag or I'm going home on an airplane seat alive, but I'm going home. He said, great, we're going to discharge you. So they wrote up the papers to discharge me. I think I was there for another week for evaluation. And then uh, they sent me back to the base to pack up my room. And I was treated like a criminal. Um, they put a guard at my door while I was packing my room, I guess to make sure I didn't steal anything or, I don't know, lose my shit and start punching walls or I don't know what. But they had a guard watching me pack. Yes. And I felt like a criminal. So I had everything packed up, had everything being mailed to my mother's house. Oh, this was, this, I forgot this little tidbit. My dad died four months before I ended up going into the military. I never needed to go. Mm. It was too late. I had already signed the papers. Yeah. So I had all the boxes sent to my mother's house, and um, they said they would ship everything back to the States. And they said, by the way, you have to meet with the chaplain before you leave. I said, the chaplain? I'm an atheist. I've never even met the chaplain. Yeah. And they said, well, it's a, it's a requirement. <laughs> so we're in like the, I don't know, cafeteria or something. And this guy comes in and I'm a little perturbed because I have no interest in talking to a chaplain about anything. And you're meeting with him in the cafeteria. Again, going back to that unofficial feel to it all. Yeah. He says, so I hear you're going home. And I said, yep. And he said something, whatever it was, he basically implied that I was, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that I had failed. And I said, well, you know what? At this point, I just don't care. I, I just want out of here. I want to start my life over. And I, I just, I don't care. And he said, and I will never forget these words. He said, you are a loser and you will always be a loser. Way to go, chaplain. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Shocking that I uh, don't have a, a soft spot for... Um, the religious right. So, I, I mean, I was absolutely shocked. And he said, what do you think you're going to do when you leave here? You can't even do this. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to go to college. And he laughed. He said, you, you wouldn't make it through two months of college. And I said, well, you'd be wrong on that. And he pulled out a business card out of his wallet and he had a pen in his hand and he writing something down and he hands this card to me. He goes, that's my home address, my official permanent home address. He says, uh, you ever actually get a college credit? You can mail me a letter and let me know. And I guarantee you, I'll never hear from you. So I went on to get my bachelor's I basically have two master's degrees, and I'm all but dissertation on a PhD. And for about six years, every um, every term, I would mail him my college transcripts to his house. Would you wipe but your I was, ass with I would it always, before you mail it? <laughs> that I, no, I I wrote across them in big letters every time. Fuck you. There was a piece of me that thought 
oh, did, does he think that he just encouraged me? And by that little telling me I was a loser and would always be a loser, was that his way of just trying to get me to be a success? Tough. No, he was an asshole. Yeah, tough love. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, he was just a prick. That was all there is to it. He was just a prick. The other part of this is um, when I finally got my things, it took three months for my belongings to return from Hawaii. And I found out it was because when someone leaves without finishing their total time that they're supposed to serve, the military likes to fuck with them. So my belongings were sent all over Europe and all over the United States before they ever arrived back to me. So your your luggage and your belongings went on a little trip without you. <laughs> they got to see parts of the world I have never seen. I finally got my things. I moved into an apartment. I think I had been out six months. And I received a phone call from a an officer in the Coast Guard that was calling me from Hawaii. And he wanted to know if I had ever been sexually assaulted by this particular soldier. Wow. And I said, yes, but how do you know that? And he said, we've just had a woman come to us to report that she was raped in uh, her barracks room. And we are contacting all women that have had contact with him in the last three years. And he said, so far, you're number five. He's a fucking serial rapist. Yeah, he is. And I thought, now we'll get justice because there's enough people I waited and waited and I followed really closely what was happening and I I never heard anything back. And so about six months later, I called the guy back and I said, I, I want to know what happened. And he said, well, he has been removed from his post. And I said, okay, where is he? We've transferred him to San Diego. <laughs> they transferred him to San Diego. And I have no many have no idea how many women he has raped since then. They just transferred him. And they- his wife and kids. <laughs> and that's my story. <laughs> this is this is my problem is people always want to think that, you know, bad things will happen to bad people, justice will be served, everything will work out in the end. But from a young age, I, I knew that that wasn't true. So I'm mm-hmm. not, I am not shocked or even surprised by the lack of resolution that you, you must feel. You know, for a long time, I just buried it. You know, I, I wasn't even angry. I just buried it. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal. And I um, somehow decided, again, since I wasn't really raped, that um, it wasn't a big deal. That didn't really go well for me because the next time something like that happened to me, all of this came back up. So I don't know what happened to him. I hope that, um, I hope that he did it to the wrong person and that somehow ended up, I don't know, I don't know, being caught. The thing is that, you know, he was never going to serve time for anything. The worst case scenario is they would just give him a dishonorable discharge. But that doesn't, that really doesn't even happen. So, yeah. You know, but you have a point. All you can hope for is you did it to the wrong person, the person that might might decide to defend themselves with with deadly force. That's that's all you can really hope for. 
but we know that that's unlikely. Yes. And I now understand why the, when people say the military is 20 years behind the rest of the world, I mean, this stuff is still happening on a daily basis. Yeah. I, I served in the military and didn't have the best experience, but nothing like yours. It was 20 years behind, and it's the same reason why I got out. It was just, I, I thought it was just a mess, and nobody knew what the hell was going on. And I felt that same sense of disorganization and, and just, you worded it perfectly. You were like, it didn't seem official. It just seemed mm-hmm. like, here's a building, and we're just going to, we're going to pretend official. <laughs> we're going to pretend that this <laughs> yeah. is, there's some rank and file here. And, and the only rank and file is what you believe there is. Yeah, you got it. I really appreciate you wanting to hear my story. Yeah. You know, again, this is still happening every single day. Yeah. In every branch of the military, all over the place. And uh, we, we as a society have decided this isn't important enough to change the way that we handle things, change the laws, change reporting procedures. It, it just... Um, it's heartbreaking to me. When when we did our original rape culture episode on the Gen Y, it was all about the military stuff. I mean, that was sort of the focus that I wanted to, to look at. And the conversation didn't go that way. So when you wrote to me, I was like, uh, this is, this is kind of what I really wanted to focus on the first time. But it happens in general society too. So I wasn't disappointed by any means that it didn't go all military. But... There needs to be something more to it. There needs to be some more oversight, something, because right now it's just a free-for-all. It's disgusting. Yeah, and when I was in, um, you know, this was 1991, so when I was in, uh, women were not allowed on uh, boats in the Coast Guard. So there were even fewer women in the Coast Guard because the women that were in the Coast Guard were at um, stations where they were based on land. I know that there are more women now serving um, in the Coast Guard than before. They are allowed on boats now. Um, and I don't know. I, in my mind, that might help. It might help stop this. I think there's, you know, women tend to look out for each other and help each other. But overall, we have to do something to make change. It's just it, it, we can't as a society say this is okay. You know, I went in to, quote, unquote, serve my country and – I was raped by somebody and, and I now look back and feel horrible about my time in the military and feel horrible about being a veteran. When people say, Oh, it's veterans day. Happy veterans day. Thank you for your service. I want to throw up. Cause you know, the type of people that this system supports, it's nothing to be proud about. Not to say there aren't wonderful, fantastic people serving in the military. Yeah. But the system has to change. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, there's always, you You know, I don't even know why we'd have to give the disclaimer. The military is not a horrible place. There's always great people in the military. It does great things for people. It does great things for America. But there's a problem. And it's systemic if a serial rapist can continue functioning within its organization. Put it bluntly, that's what's One happening. One that they know. <laughs> I mean, again, the guy told me. He, I was one of five that he knew about so far. Yeah. There's a problem. It's just... There's a problem. It's There's incredible. 
I'll let you get going. I know you, you got to get out of your hotel room before they <laughs> start charging you. <laughs> <laughs> Banging on the door. You got a deadbolt there. so <laughs> just... yeah, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're, uh, you're taking the time, and I love the new podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Justin. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, Lisa, so much for sharing. Our next guest is Heidi. She was working at a place that would be considered the exact opposite of the military. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Hi, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Um, oh, I'm so excited. I'm nervous though, I don't know why, but I'm super excited <laughs> to be talking to you, so this is cool. Go ahead and introduce yourself. All right, so uh, my name's Heidi. Um, I'm 23 now, and this all happened right when I turned 21, um, but just, a little, I guess, a little bit of backstory so it makes sense. So when I was 18, so a year after I graduated high school that summer, I got a job at the happiest place on earth and, you know, super cool at first. Um, it was a lot of fun. I made a lot of friends. And then a few months later, um, maybe like six months after I turned 19, I was actually able to afford to move out. So a couple of my coworkers and I, we got an apartment in Fullerton. So literally just a down harbor from happiest place on earth. So, um, it was super cool. And then that lease ended a few months later and then I moved into another apartment in the same complex with my boyfriend at the time. And then a year later we broke up and then he moved out, I guess, right before my 21st birthday, maybe a month before. So out of like all the people that I worked with, a lot of people did like live on their own and have apartments. But I mean, you would have like four or five people in like a two or three bedroom apartment. And then I was like the only person who had like my own place. So pretty cool at the time. And, you know, being the only one and fairly young, especially now that I know it's a lot harder to live out on your own, especially in California where everything is completely overly priced and ridiculous. <laughs> especially um, in Anaheim in that area. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Stuff. And I didn't even live in like a nice part. I lived in like this sketchy like Anaheim Fullerton border, you know, or right off the 91 freeway. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, but like, no, I talking. am very familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. Downtown Fullerton, you know, the cops are there every other day. It's the complex behind me. And it's just, I mean, nothing crazy ever happened to me. Well, from what you would think, but um, I mean, anyways, yeah. um, when I lived out there, um, I lived in Koreatown because that was the only place I could afford. So, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> yeah. So you're like, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though I was about to be 21, I had never drank before. Like even as a kid, though, I had never gotten in trouble. I was like a nervous kid. I was scared of everything. Like I never got sent to the principal's office. I never cheated on a test. Like nothing. All my guests are so good. I feel like such a <laughs> criminal now. <laughs> No, don't, because I ended up getting crazy, so I guess I made up for it. And then I think I just never had an interest in alcohol, like, even um, my first couple years of school, like, I would go to, like, these parties with people, and people love going to parties with me, because I was always the DD, because I just had, like, no interest. I do have alcoholism, like, extreme on both sides of my family, so maybe that's why, I've still to this day never even like smoked pot or anything like nothing like mm -hmm. I don't know I guess I'm just weird but I was it was my birthday and I was you know completely on my own I just got out of a not so great relationship so I was like well hey I think I was at like Trader Joe's and I was like oh well I can buy this so why not so I ended up buying like a couple things of beer but I 
couldn't, didn't even like it. I lived across the street from a Target. I could be from like my bed to the middle of Target in like less than two minutes because I timed it (laughs) once because I don't know. I just guess wanted to see how long it would take. And yeah, so I walked over there and I was like going through the alcohol section. And I'm like, oh, I can probably drink this. And of course, it's freaking Mike's Hard Lemonade. And now I look at that and just laugh. That's like... I don't know. That's what did Baby. you in? Yeah. I was like, okay. So, you know, I don't know why. And then I, I bought it. And so then I go home and it's just me. Cause it was, I want to say it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. So, you know, most people are working. So I just started drinking alone and I'm sitting in my, you know, apartment with my three cats getting drunk and it didn't take much because obviously I had no alcohol experience whatsoever. So of course I do the next thing and I get on Facebook and start messaging random people online. I do remember for some reason at the time I was going through a John Denver phase, which I I don't even know why. So super into that. I think because I saw an article about his his star coming on the Walk of Fame or something. I don't know. So I was like messaging one of my friends about that. And then um, I saw this other guy online who I will just refer to as Jay. Um, And we worked together in like the same department, but a different sub department, if that makes sense. I messaged him because I had worked with him like just a few days before. And we were like working together, like, you know, 10 hour shift all day. And I was saying how my birthday was coming up. And he was like, Oh, you're gonna be 21. Like, yeah, I've never drank before. I don't know if I'm going to and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, Oh, I messaged him. Hey, guess who decided to get drunk tonight? You know, whatever, just being dumb. And then um, he offered to come over and hang out and like help me if I got sick or anything. I don't know. I had no reason to think he was a weirdo. Like I knew that he would learn hit on girls a lot, but like, I thought it was nothing more than that. I mean, that's kind of skeezy, but essentially harmless as far as I knew. And kind of typical probably, especially when you're that age. (laughs) Yeah. And there's like a lot of, you know, young people who are on their own, like, and he was actually, I don't know how I still join the military after this, but he's actually in the military too. He's a reservist. So, I mean, I guess it's typical, like, quote unquote, Marine military behavior, you know, the stereotypes, whatever. But you had worked with him long shifts. So you you kind of bond with your coworkers after 10 hour shifts anyways, right? Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, these people that I worked with, I mean, these are people that I saw more than my own family sometimes, you know, like, I mean, I'd work holidays with these people and I lived with, around a lot of them. I lived with some of them, you know, and like you said, 10 hour shifts, you're with these same people all the time. Like you end up getting really close. And like, I still do have close friends from there. So I do appreciate that. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, I had no reason to think he was a weirdo. I mean, just, I don't know. So, um, I was actually talking to one of my other friends at the time and I told him that Jay was coming over and he was like, dude, like, don't let him into your house. Like what's wrong with you? And I was like, why, you know, and I'm drunk and stupid. And, um, I've just heard some things like you might not want to do that, but you know, stupidly I opened my door, which, I wish I never did, but you're drunk. You're not thinking you're not the red flags aren't flying high for you. you know. yeah. And it was like my, and he knew it was the first time I ever drank. And I guess that's kind of why I was like, Oh, like we're actually friends. And like, it's funny. Cause like some things I'm so cynical about and then other things I'm just like so naive about. I don't know how I function, but it all started off pretty innocent. Like I was just talking a lot. I don't, I wouldn't shut up. And like some of it's funny, like some stuff that like I vividly remember. Um, cause I had my, my three cats and I just 
like went on and on for like 30 minutes, probably how I wanted to be a good cat mom. And I was going to join the cat PTA, which I don't even know what that is, but apparently that's what I was going to do. And then, um, I think I asked for water or something, but I like stood up and was like, I guess going on and about the cat PTA some more. And he offered to get me more to drink. And even when I was like, oh, no, I don't know about that. He just kept encouraging it like more and more. And I think I had like the Mike's hard like lemonade, like original and then like the pink one. And I was like, I guess I'll just be diplomatic and have, you know, the same amount of each and alternate because that's what's fair to the alcohol because it has feelings apparently. And he was like, yeah, keep doing that. Keep, keep drinking. Like you need to drink more. And I'm just like, whatever. He, he drinking too? Then, no, he wasn't. Okay. That was me. Yeah. I guess I forgot to say that. Yeah, no, he wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came back to my room and my apartment was like a... I think they called it like a junior one bedrooms, a studio essentially, but it had a bedroom door. So he came back in from the kitchen because everything was like really close and he like pushed me up against the wall and he kissed me and I was like, oh no, like that's not a good idea. Like, and I don't know, I kept saying it wasn't a good idea, like instead of just no, which I guess I did end up saying no at some point, but like that was my thing. Like, oh no, let's not do this. This isn't a good idea. And so then he stopped and I went to sit down again because, you know, I was getting dizzy and the room was spinning and um, I was just talking. I don't even remember like what about, but um, he ended up like putting his hand on my knee and I didn't really think anything of it, but, you know, slowly worked its way up. And so I kept pushing him away and I was telling him no, and it wasn't a good idea. Um, And then he just kept pushing for it. So eventually he did like you know, get me down on the bed and he just kept kissing me and touching me. And I told him to stop. It's not a good idea over and over. And then I guess, I don't know why I said this. I guess I thought maybe it would deter him because I've come to find that sometimes like guys can be total creeps. And unless you're like, Oh, I have a boyfriend or guy in the picture where they're, then that's when they'll stop. But it's not even because it's, you don't want it. It's because they're like, Oh, I respect this other guy that I don't even know if he actually exists bro code some somewhere yeah yeah so I kept telling him oh no don't do it because I didn't want my ex-boyfriend to find out um but that didn't stop him so I don't really remember too much about what happened so I guess I'm like thankful for that like I do but I don't you know like definitely not as vivid as it could have been you you know Uh, what happened but you couldn't paint the picture if you yeah Yeah. And like the details aren't all there. So that's good, I guess, in some ways. Um, I do remember though, it was like probably like five in the morning and obviously working where we worked. Um, it's a 24 hour thing. So you could have shifts any time of day. So, um, he had a morning shift. So I just remember him saying that he had to go to work and he came back in my room and like threw a bottle of water at me and was like, yeah, go to, go to sleep. And more than anything, I think I probably passed out drunk. I don't really think I fell asleep because I woke up maybe like an hour and a half or two hours later and I was still drunk. And so I realized my clothes weren't on anymore and it'll be relevant later, but I was wearing like an oversized shirt that was like four sizes too big and then just like pajama pants that were like two sizes too big. It has relevance, I promise. So I messaged him on Facebook because that's where we were talking before. Hey, like what happened? And, you know, I was still kind of like drunk and out of it. And he just said, 
oh, nothing. It's no big deal. Just don't tell your ex-boyfriend or anyone else that I was there. And I mean, I, you know, was so out of it. I was just kind of like, whatever. And I went back to sleep. Um, I did have to work that afternoon. So I go to work and I'm there and we were working in, we were at one of the hotels and one of my friends that I had been talking to the night before, he was like the, they call him a lead, but it's really essentially just a word for supervisor. Um, and he came by to just, you know, like make fun of me for like the dumb stuff I was saying about like John Denver or whatever the night before. But like he saw me and I guess I looked like really bad mm-hmm. and he was like, Hey, let's go talk in the back. So we go down to the back office and everything just like came back to me like all at once. So I'm like sitting there and I'm not even a big crier and I just like started crying. And so he was, um, let's see if we can get you to go home early. I was like, okay. So he like called a manager who I'm going to refer to as C and he let me go home early from my shift. So they gave me what's called a release of shift. Um, cause they're really stingy about their like attendance and releasing stuff. So I went home, just remember walking out to the parking lot and like, I just started like crying, just like breaking down, like sobbing. So I called one of my friends and he came over and he stayed with me that night. And like, I told him what happened and he, he was great. I think he was just like shocked, like, oh my God, like what the fuck happened? You know? Cause I was really out of character for me to call and just like not even be able to talk. Cause I was like, couldn't stop crying. I drove home and there's this parking lot across the street from my house for Target, which you weren't supposed to park at, but there was never any parking at my apartment. And it was to the point, like maybe like a 10th, two tenths of a mile to my carport from the parking lot. But I was just like too exhausted to like even drive over there. So I didn't. So, you know, it's just one thing after the other, I come out the next morning and my car is towed and I was just going to go to Panera to get lunch. And so it's another, you know, $500 I had to waste just to get my freaking car back. And it was literally just like one thing after the other. So it was just like a horrible weekend and just trying to process everything that happened. And so then I had to go back to work on Sunday because I had Fridays and Saturdays off. And they told me, oh, be sure you come by the manager's office before you uh, go to your shift because we need to talk about your how we released you from your shift. Go, well, this will be fun. You know, I don't really want to talk to a bunch of people about this. So I go in there and they gave me two female managers, I guess they, because they kind of knew, I, I guess, what happened. But like, even when I was on the phone with my manager the other night, like the night that they let me go home, like I didn't even like know what to say, like it happened. Cause it's like really awkward. Cause I didn't even know him very well. Cause we have like 20 something managers, you know. So this wasn't someone that I knew very well. And like, it's just this dude that I don't know. So it's just, awkward and weird and so they gave me the two managers and we're sitting in there and they're like okay well you know you have like one of two options you can either just kind of like ignore it and let it go or you can like go report it and we have like an actual like real like cop detective on site that you can report it to and then for me that's kind of where like an internal conflict started because like on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, I should definitely do this. You know, what if it happens to somebody else or what if it already has? And if I found out later that like it did happen again and I hadn't said anything and knowing that saying something could have maybe stopped it, I'd be like, I don't know how I could live with myself with that. Like, even though it wouldn't be my fault, like logically I know that, but it's like, maybe if I can do something to potentially stop it, then I'll try it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other part of me is like, well, he is somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. He's somebody's friend. Like, Oh, how we consider the attacker and their feelings, you know? 
Yeah. yeah. And then I was scared because I'm like, well, he's in the military. And like, I didn't know as much about the military at that point. And I was like, so like, what if they like do something to me? And one of my coworkers who is actually a Navy vet was, and then another one who was a Marine Corps vet, because there's actually a lot of veterans that work there. Mm-hmm. They knew what happened. And it was funny because one of my coworkers, the Marine one, he was walking with me and he like knew something was up with me because we had worked together for like two years at this point. He was like something happened, huh? And I was just like, yeah. And I kind of told him and then we were walking, I think we were going home. So we were like walking to the shuttle and we passed by Jay and just like, he gave me like this look feeling like it was like this smirk look, I can't even describe it. But uh, my coworker turned to me, he's all, it was him, wasn't it? And I was like, how'd you know? And so he like made sure that we like walked the long way. So I didn't have to see him. I'm not, you know, just imagining it. I don't know. Part of me did feel bad because it's like he is somebody's son, brother. And like, you know, like it's not just going to ruin his life. It's going to ruin their life too. And like logically, I know, well, it's ruining it because his actions, but there's still that whole thing. And and then it's scary because you hear the stories of what happened to people who do that and just how it all kind of comes back on them. Even, you know, I guess the victim, you know, comes back on them because we victim blame a lot for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I did decide to report it. They gave me like a day to decide. Like I told them I wasn't ready to decide, but the next day I went to the manager and she brought me down to the detective and um, I'll just call him Detective L, but he was awesome. Like I really cannot explain how great he was. Um, He was so supportive and he did so much for me. I mean, there were times like even a couple months after I reported it where like when things just weren't working or going, like I would call him and ask him for help and he would listen to me and he would talk to me even though like I wasn't on technically on his caseload. Um, because since he was in Anaheim and it happened in Fullerton, it was out of their jurisdiction. So he's like, well, I'll take a courtesy report and I'll just send it over to FPD. So I know you said you're kind of familiar with that area, but mm-hmm. like literally like, you know, Disneyland is our happiest place on earth. Sorry. <laughs> is on Harbor. And then literally straight down Harbor. And then you make a left and you're at Um, the Fullerton (laughs) police department. So like, it's super close. Just the time that it took for this stuff, like blew my mind. And they sent that report electronically, I believe not snail mail. And so I don't know like what happened there. But, um, when I was talking to detective Al, he like asked for his name and stuff. And I told him who he was like, you know, his first and last name. And then he's like, starts asking me questions like, Oh, is this his hair color? His eye color? Is this his height and weight? And I'm like, um, height and weight sounds right you know I don't know how much he weighs but then he like looked him up on his little police computer I guess they can look up anybody and like his driver's license came up and he like showed it to me and it made me like verify like three or four times that it was in fact him and then I guess something came up with his name but he didn't tell me what it was and I still don't know what it was I have an idea because rumor has it he had like a DUI or something Mm -hmm. so I think that might have been it but he's like, well, I'm, did, I'm really glad you came in and reported this. So I was like, okay. So at that point, I thought I was all done. So I was like ready to go to my shift. And then my manager, C, who I had originally talked to and gave me that release of shift. He's like, so I'm your case manager and I'm going to be your point of contact throughout this process. And we have to go talk to like resort security officer. So an actual employee there versus like a contracted one, like Detective Else. 
So I went down to the office um, where the security is, which is actually like one of their like underground offices. So I was like, oh, I guess the underground stuff is real. And um, he's like, so ever since, you know, the 7th, I've been monitoring your social media. And um, I don't know why you haven't deleted Jay off your Facebook yet. But like, I don't know, one, I hadn't really thought about it. And two, I guess I didn't want to like make like a big scene about it and seem like anything was like off. You're having to work with this guy. You're having to, even if it was a, a date that did just went wrong or something that was just awkward and not uh, an attack, you still have to be around this person and unfriending someone on Facebook is a big deal and you're not trying to instigate anything. So exactly. That was exactly it. And I was like, I don't want him to like think anything's like off or weird. Cause like, obviously I had no clue what he was actually capable of, you know, like I really didn't think that any of that would happen. But you're not deleting him from Facebook looks more suspicious than him getting you drunk while he remains sober. I mean, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And like, I keep all my social media really private. Like I really only use like Facebook and Instagram. And so the security officer was like, yeah, I didn't really see much on yours, but on his, I saw that you guys are still friends. So I just saw like a picture of you and then a picture of a cat. Well, yeah, I mean, I keep everything private for a reason. So then he starts going over all these like potential scenarios that could happen, like stalking, like him showing up at my door if he finds out that something's going on and like threats of force. So like my mind automatically goes to, oh my God, like what if this actually happens? Because at this point I really don't know, like, and he's telling me like, oh yeah, you have to be on the watch out for this. You should carry pepper spray, which I guess is good practice anyways. But like, oh, make sure that, you know, you have like ready to call 911 at any time and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, dude, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, it was just so crazy, like, to have somebody, like, tell you that this is, like, a legitimate thing to be worried about. Um, But now you're more scared about reporting it because because you're you're inflaming the situation or you're making somebody angry or you could get retaliated against. I mean... And that's what I was scared of because I'm like, oh, my God, like, what if he, like, comes, like, knocking down, like, my door? Like, he knows where I live, obviously, because he drove over there and... It was just crazy. And then he, uh, the security guy starts telling me that he had sent out an email to like my entire management team. So like all 20 of these people, some of them who I never really knew because I pretty much always worked in like the same spot. You know, my name would come up and they'd be like, wait, who's that? Oh, and then or they'd like see me and be like, hey, like I need, you know, talk to you about whatever it is. And they're like, wait, who are you again? And then they'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, I know who you are, the email. And I'm just like... <laughs> Awesome. That's cool. They they sent out an email to 20 different managers saying that you had been sexually assaulted or raped by a fellow employee. Yes. And to make sure that they kept an eye on it pretty much, um, I guess was the purpose, which kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, that's like kind of awkward when it's like the first time you're meeting this person. It's like, oh yeah, I know you because of that email. And I'm just like... All right. You know, so I don't know. But at this point, everything kind of quieted down. Um, I was just waiting for a detective from FPD to contact me. And I was told it would take a week tops. Um, I avoided Jay at all costs. If I got near him, like I just felt like throwing up and I'd run in the other direction. Like I'd be like out walking. They call it on stage. If you're somewhere where guests can see you, I'd be like out there, you know, walking to my shift or whatever. And I'd see him and I'd turn around like, nope. And like run the other way. And I probably looked like a lunatic because you look ridiculous. And those, they call them costumes that you have to wear. But 
I was like, I cannot get near him. Like, and every time he'd see me, he'd just give me like that look, like that stupid smirk. And it was just like, and I still can like see it in my head today. Oh, like God. my husband and I actually went there back in June cause he had never been before cause he's from the East coast <laughs> and he saw us there and he still gave me that stupid look. And I was just like, Nope, I'm running. Luckily my husband didn't see him cause he probably would have like yeah. lost his shit and So anyways, two weeks had passed and I still hadn't heard from FPD. So I called them and they told me that my report had to have gotten lost. But I mean, like I said, it's down the street. And if they're sending it electronically, I don't know how it got caught, like lost in the mail, but whatever. So I called Detective L back and I told him what FPD said. And then of course, the next day, what do you know? I got a call from an FPD detective. And so he made an appointment for me to come and talk to him the next week. So at this point, it had been like three weeks since the incident happened before I talked to an actual Fullerton detective I made sure that I had the I got off early enough to go to this meeting from work because just another thing on top of the other I had to my I was using my dad's car at the time because my ex-boyfriend and I shared a car and then um, when he moved out obviously the car went with him so my brother totaled my dad's other car so my dad needed his car back so I like had to time it right with like the bus and everything and it was just awful so I made sure like all right I'm gonna be there like make sure that I get on the right bus and everything um to get there on time and the meeting was horrible it was humiliating so I bring in like the written Facebook confession that I had from Jay Mm -hmm. and I brought it to the detective like he told me to and he told me that it was maybe sufficient and then he asked me why I was wearing clothes with such easy access because Uh. since they were so big on me it was easier for him to quote unquote gain access to me I why, why, why are you drinking? Why are you wearing these clothes? And why are you still friends with them on Facebook? You deserve this. I mean, is this literally what they're saying? <laughs> Who? And I was like, well, they're pajamas. Like, I don't know anyone that like, I mean, I'm not going to sleep in my street clothes that like fit me. Like, I don't know. Like, and why did he not stop when I said stop? Like, isn't that the question we should be asking? But you know, you and then think. The detective told me not to talk to anybody about what happened because Jay could get his feelings hurt or get embarrassed. Uh. And I wasn't, yeah, (laughs) I wasn't planning, you know, on hiring a skywriter or, you know, getting a megaphone and announcing it to all of the happiest place on earth in front of the castle. But, you know, I, I just thought that was a weak reason to be like, don't talk about it. Like if it were something like, oh, it could interfere with the investigation or, you know, we need to do it like this for investigative reasons. Yeah, but because he could get his feelings hurt. They they have zero, it's called bedside manner, and they usually refer to doctors with this, but uh, a lot of these detectives seem to not have any kind of tact or understanding of what they're saying to you. I, it's just unbelievable. I mean, at this point, I think I'd want to punch a mouse in the face over it, but... And I was like sitting there, you know, I'm 21. I'm completely on my own. Like I was doing all this by myself and I'm sitting here like, dude, like I have nobody like in my corner and I wasn't talking to a lot of people about it. And cause it's awkward. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, Hey mom and dad, like, guess what happened to me? You know? And so I was just, okay, that's really fantastic. So, and this email has gone out about you. So now you have the mark of the beast as, you know, Oh, the problem now Uh, it's all very humiliating to you. It is. And you just try to pretend like, you know, 
nothing happened and nothing's going on. But it's like at this point, I've been working there over two years. And like, so the managers that I knew, I mean, they knew me. And then it's kind of like, not that I was really planning on like trying to move up or anything, because I didn't really have an interest in doing that, because it's definitely not a place I'd want to be at forever. But it's when you're seen as like a good employee, and I'd never been late, you know, I, I was always on time, I always did a good job, I got good feedback, like, so you're seeing, you know, overall as a good employee, I've been there since I was, you know, 18, I'm 21 at this point. So it's, you know, two and a half years. And then it's like, all of a sudden, you're just seen as like this problem child. Like, it's like, kind of like wild to go from like that to that. And just the span of like a couple weeks, you know, and I'm just all right. Like the, the leads and supervisors that I worked with, they were cool about it. Because I mean, they they obviously know you on a more personal level than the managers do. But it was just like kind of hard because it's like I would work with leads or supervisors that I didn't really work with a lot. And then they would be Oh, so like, we've heard this. And it's just kind of like, and like people would bring it up to me and like ask me about it. I don't and it was people that I didn't know very well. So you know, they just like want the gossip or whatever. And it was just so humiliating. Like, how did you hear about this? Yeah. It was just horrible. But um, the Fullerton detective tells me that we have to do this sting operation. And at first it sounds kind of cool. Cause you're like, Oh, like I see this on law and order. Like this is awesome. But it was going to be him talking to Jay through my Facebook and trying to get him to confess. And stupidly I agreed to that. So a couple weeks later I came in and did it. And it was literally like the most humiliating and embarrassing thing because the detective is talking through my phone and he's like trying to use, I guess, words that he thinks sound like cool and young and and it was just humiliating like it was not the way I would talk like I feel like he had to know that it wasn't me because just the way that he was saying things it was just embarrassing and so I just I don't even know why I handed my phone over to him but I did he should have told you what to say (laughs) yeah I thought that he would and then he just was like oh no give me your phone and then we're gonna do that and what do you know? It didn't work. And if anything, like he could have like saved those messages, meaning Jay and like showed that to everybody. I would have like never gone back to work because it was like that humiliating. Like it was so bad. And so then after that failed attempt, which I don't know why they did it that way. Cause he said it was the best and easiest way to do it. He said he was going to call Jay and tell him that he needed to like interview him or have a conversation or whatever and that he'd be back in touch with me at two weeks at the most so three weeks passed by before I tried contacting the detective because I hadn't heard from him and then he tells me that I must be in contact with Jay because every time I happen to call him is around the time where he's actually contacted Jay well, okay, you're not getting back to me when you said you would. So I'm following up and I'm even giving you extra time. That's not my fault that you're behind. So he tells me that he did have the meeting with Jay and he just hadn't called me yet, but it had been several days. So I'm sitting here like, how did you have this conversation several days ago? And you couldn't even call me to tell me how it went because that was pretty much what he told me he was going to do. And he said that, pretty much the gist of their interview was that Jay came over because he thought I was quote unquote cute and he was going to quote unquote get some. And then the detective tells me it was just a big misunderstanding. And I was like, okay, well my life is miserable now and I hate being at work because it got super hostile with people. Like rumors were spreading. And I mean, I stayed above it. I'll give myself that credit. 
and there were times where I did have to work near him because um, I was told I'd get in trouble if I refused to. And so, I mean, like, that's like one thing, I guess, I don't know, good or bad. I can work with people even if I don't like them. Like, I can set that aside for work. But I felt like this was something where it's like beyond setting it aside. So I just told Detective C, like, look, like, work's miserable. I have to see him all the time. They're not really accommodating anything. And he's like, well, maybe you should just get a new job. Okay, but it's, you know, it's not that simple. Like, if it were, I would. But, I mean, I was on, obviously, like, a tight budget in anywhere that I were to just hire into because I'm not done with school yet. I'm not going to be making as much as I was making there, you know. So he's like, well, I'm going to send this over to the DA. And two months later, in February, Detective C calls me back to tell me that the DA refused to, I guess, press charges or whatever they do. Because there wasn't enough evidence, and it was he said, she said. And, I mean, this is including his original Facebook confession. So, I don't know. After that, that was kind of like a hard pill to swallow. I had been telling myself I didn't want a prosecution, but I think that deep down I did. And then, of course, naively, I'm expecting, you know, my SVU Olivia Benson moment that never happened. And I was assigned an advocate um, a victim's advocate, like through this county program, but they, if they choose not to prosecute your case, you don't have those services offered to you anymore. Um, which I guess it makes sense that that's how the program works, but it was just kind of frustrating. And like, you know, I had gone and actually met with her a couple of times, which again was a whole other problem of trying to get a hold of her because they were supposed to reach out to me and they didn't so I'm reaching out to them and they're not calling back and it took like a month or two to finally like get in contact and of course it's in like the courthouse down in Santa Ana which isn't really in the best area so you know I'm going down there having to pay to park and all this for I mean the girl was nice but I think they're kind of like volunteer I, I mean I think they're paid but I don't think they have any like degrees or anything like I know there's training they go through but I think like just about anybody can like do the job if that makes sense so I mean she was nice but it was like once they're like oh no we're not prosecuting it it was just kind of like all right like you're on your own and I was just like all right (laughs) whatever I guess so and I've been told over and over by both the detective and the advocate how DAs hate these cases because they're never a sure win I don't know, I felt like even just going ahead with reporting it and having them do an investigation was a big step because of just, you know, the internal conflict of it. And I thought that I would have been okay with it just ending and being over. But then you saw all those nagging what ifs, like they kept telling me, well, if it happens again, now that we have more evidence that it, like a pattern of behavior, then we can do something. And I'm like, why do we have to wait till this happens you know, 15 times before we decide that this person is a problem. Like, I just don't know why once isn't enough. And, and, like, and sorry, they don't have a pattern of behavior because they didn't charge him with anything. And yeah. if he were to be charged later for an assault or a rape, what happened with you would not be admissible in court at all. If he had even a remotely decent lawyer, this would not be admissible. So you could not establish any pattern of behavior. See, that's crazy because I know that they can do that because they were like, well, they'll just see that there's been another report filed about it and that'll establish it. But, you know, what? I don't know the difference at the, you know, at the time. And like, that's really frustrating because, yeah, that's I feel like that's an excuse they give a lot of people is, oh, well, there's no, you know, we can't we can't charge it now, but it'll happen again. And then we can go with a pattern of behavior. And I'm like, okay, but I mean, now that you say that, it makes sense because there's really no real record of it other than an accusation. I mean, they they might 
have more merit to charge him. Like the DA might say, okay, we're, we're going to charge him because we have a pattern of behavior, but actually guilty, getting a guilty and a conviction out of it. No, <laughs> it's like the only thing that it helps is the charge. But after that, it's everything's fair game. And just for them to say, it's a big misunderstanding. Well, Hey, I had a misunderstanding with a guy out in the parking lot and I shot him in the head, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go to jail for that. Like, yeah. and that's crazy. Cause when my friend told me that night, don't let him in, I've heard rumors. And then actually when I was in, um, my tech school, so this was last November, 2015. So I'm away in Virginia, you know, on a freaking military base dying. And I get this, message from one of my friends back in California. And they're like, Hey, so I heard that something happened again. And I didn't ask for details because I didn't really want to know. So I don't know if it was just something that happened prior to me or what, but just like, I'm, you know, thousands of miles from home. And then I get this message of, Oh, Hey, so I heard it happened again. So what the fuck, man. So I was really just so out of it and I'm already kind of quiet anyways, but my instructor, cause it's like our job school called tech school. My instructor was like, he like noticed something was wrong. So he ended up um, calling me aside and he's like, I think we need to talk. And I'm like, okay. And I know that you were in the military. So you understand he's like the epitome of like the best NCO that you could ever want. Like, oh, I wish I could work for him because he's just amazing. So I ended up telling him everything that happened like in his office. And oh, I had no idea, but he was so supportive. And this is somebody that obviously I only knew as, you know, lowly junior enlisted to like NCO. But obviously, at least as of June, he was, you know, still at work. So I don't, like I said, I don't know the details of what supposedly happened. May If something did happen and they reported it, I guess even that's not enough of a pattern of behavior if it happened twice, you know, so it's just so frustrating. But um, well, and they didn't even think to ask the other your other friend that said you don't don't open your door to him to establish a pattern of behavior. I mean, here, here I am going into my true crime analysis of all the witness <laughs> testimony, but. Yeah. And I told the detective all that too, um, about my friend saying that. And he's like, well, you know, it's just rumors. It's just hearsay. And I'm like, but shouldn't you look into the rumors and into the hearsay? (sighs) I don't know. So I also felt though, the detective was kind of playing both sides of the fence. Like I, when I said I wasn't sure about prosecuting, he would push me to go forward. Well, what if it happens to someone else? How will you feel? Blah, blah, blah. So then I'm like, okay, I think I want to do it. He'd be like, well, you know how difficult this is. And I deal with cases that are a lot worse than this. And don't you know where you live? Because we lived in downtown Fullerton, which is literally just, you know, a block of streets lined with bars. And there's so many bars here. And this just happens all the time. Don't want to give him a pass. But he's playing both sides because he's trying to see how serious you are. He's trying to sort of vet the story. No, I guess I see what now, now that you word it like that. No, I can understand what you're saying. Because I guess they want to make sure that they're not going to go after you know, try to go after yeah. something and then find out that there's not merit to it. You know, Which, but if someone's reporting a crime, they're reporting a crime. <laughs> I mean, that's... And that's the thing, because I'm like, if my car got stolen, you know, I wouldn't be bombarded with these questions like, no. oh, well, why did you buy this kind of car if you know that it has a high stealing rate, like, or high <laughs> yeah. theft rate or whatever, you know? like Why didn't you lock just, your doors? <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's just crazy. And then, you know, and then I still have to work with him. So it wasn't, you know, really much better than my home life. At first, they were awesome, like taking me to the cop and doing that. And then they kind of realized how seriously I was taking it um, with the police report. And then that's when their tune kind of started changing. Um, I asked to be kept away from him, which 
I mean, given that, you know, 40,000 people work at that freaking place, it truly is a simple request to fill. Like I, I know in some lines of business or departments, it is more difficult. But I mean, you have to understand for what I did, it was an extremely simple request. And they told me they couldn't guarantee it. And that if I refused to work with him, um, I could get disciplined. But the part that bothered me about that was that there'd be people, they had some sort of like falling out with a coworker that they used to be friends with. So since they couldn't get along, they wouldn't make them work together, you know, cause they couldn't set their personal outside of work argument aside to work together for eight hours. And it's like, we worked at the happiest place on earth. Like nothing we were doing was that serious. Like it's, yeah. if, if anything, it was more just like a big playground, you know, if they're willing to separate people over something petty, but then tell you, no, we, we can't guarantee it. And if it just shows where the priority is and it shows that whoever your manager is makes all the difference. And they really do. Cause I had some managers who would be like, yeah, we can totally help you out. And then other ones, yeah, no, there were times I did have to work around him. Um, but I have to say like I had coworkers who found out what happened and they, these were people who were amazing and they were like, Hey, you're working there today. I'll go ahead and switch you because I don't want you out there. And these are people who I didn't even necessarily know super well, but they, and they didn't push for details. They had just heard. And I mean, they were great because they were like shitty spots to work at that no one wanted to be at. And they'd be like, no, I'll switch you in a heartbeat. Like, because they didn't want me to be there. And how sad is it that it's like the other people that, you know, we're on the same level and they're the ones that are like, yeah, let me do this for you because management is being really lame. Like, I don't know. So I really appreciated those people because yeah. they saved my ass quite a few times because it was like, how am I supposed to work there? And, you know, you have to give exceptional customer service when, you know, you have this person like staring you down and all these people. And it feels like everybody's looking at you and talking about you like when you're out there with them. And it was just it was just ridiculous. And then management goes on to tell me. I can't go to HR about it because it didn't happen at work. And I can understand that because, you know, they're not there to settle outside of work conflicts. But just the tangent, HR doesn't necessarily do much. There was this guy that we worked with and he would do like your name tag. You wear it above your left breast pocket. They're really easy to take off. Um, they're just like a little safety pin pretty much. So what he would do is he'd come up to you because like if you were quiet about it and someone wasn't paying attention and you were good, you could like get them off and like people wouldn't know. And it'd be like funny to like do to your friends. But what he would do is he'd come up and do it and he would miss the name tag somehow, you know, and then he would grab your breast. And so so he's groping. Yeah. (laughs) So he told another guy that we work with that that's why he did that. How does this guy still work here? Because he didn't even shower sometimes. Like, he was always, he didn't smell very good when he'd come into work either. And they, like, it got to the point where it was so bad that they had to start making announcements about it. They'd be like, be sure that your hygiene, you know, is up to par. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, he's the reason for that. So one day I'm at work and I was working in our store and somebody comes up to me behind me and then grabs my, my breast. So I turn around and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't care if it was a guest. I didn't care if it was a coworker. Like, yeah. if someone comes up to you, then you're not expecting it and grabs you, like, from behind. You know, you're not really, I don't know. So he turns around and he's like, what, what? Why are you mad? I was just trying to get your name tag off. Dude, like, don't fucking touch me. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, well, don't get so mad about it. And I'm like, look, if someone tells you not to touch him, just don't fucking touch him. He's like, well, if you have a problem with it, why don't you go to HR? And I was like, 
okay. So I did. And I go to HR and I tell them what happened. And they're just kind of like, okay. So they take the report. And I mean, it's just like, why is that happening with a coworker? Like there's so many weird people that go to that place. Okay. That will creep on you and you're stuck and they know you have to be nice. And like most of them are completely harmless, but they'll like trap you for hours and just talk to you. And it's kind of sad because I mean, there is obviously like not all the way there, you know, there's children here and they're allowing somebody who is now been reported as a groper to continue to be around children. And we were in a position where we worked very closely with kids and there were times that you would have to like touch kids, not in a creepy way, but you know what I mean? Like you're interacting and hugging them in a costume. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, what the fuck? I could, you know, why is this happening with a coworker, someone that you're supposed to be reasonably safe around? Like if it happened with a guest, like I'd still be upset, but it's like not as upsetting when it's someone that who I'd known for at this point, almost two years, dude, I'm like, what are you doing? So a few days later, I was talking to one of my friends that I worked with and she's like, Hey, I like want to tell you something. And so she tells me the same exact story happened to her that happened to me. And she's like, I went to HR and I heard that this other girl did too, cause it happened to her. And I was like, okay, so he's probably going to get fired. So we're like, yeah, you know, whatever. Pattern so of a behavior, a- right? <laughs> Yeah. And so we're like, great, this is awesome. Like, oh my God, he's going to get fired. Like, cool. And then they're supposed to tell you, HR can't tell you what actions they take. They just let you know, okay, we closed the investigation and here is, we took appropriate action and they don't tell you what it is, but they at least let you know they did something. So, I mean, I don't even work there anymore and it's been almost three years now since that happened and I'm still waiting to hear if they closed it. Um, The only thing that I know is that Three months after we all reported that, so in July of 2014, he auditioned for Santa Claus at the resort for the holiday time, and he got the position. And to this day, he's, or at least this past Christmas season, he's still playing Santa. So you have somebody who is a documented groper, has multiple sexual assault, harassment, whatever you want to call it, um, complaints against him, and they're letting him play Santa Claus. And put people's kids on his lap and touch people's children. So I always tell people, Hey, if you go to happiest place on earth, be careful about the characters and Santa, because you don't know who's in that costume or you don't know who Santa is. And people are like, Oh, ha ha. I'm like, no, I am like hundred percent serious right now. So me and my friend, like even to this day, like we're still like in shock about it. Like, and so we call him the Santa groper, which probably isn't, you know, but I mean, it blows my mind that they allow this to go on and people like want to turn a blind eye to it. I did enjoy things about working there. Don't get me wrong, but it's no different than any other big corporation. And people have more of a tendency to put their blinders on because they're like, Oh, happiest place on earth. Anyone that files complaints is now the troublemaker and not the person that they're filing complaints against oh yeah, let's ignore all these things and let's let him be Santa Claus. And like the biggest slap in the face about that was that job gets paid exponentially more than the job that we were doing. So I'm like, okay, not only is he doing this, not that obviously I wanted to be Santa Claus, but he's getting paid four times more an hour than I am when he's playing this role. I could use that money and you guys are giving it to him, but 
whatever. But just knowing how that went down, it just makes me realize that even if I had gone to HR about Jay, I mean, I don't think it would have done any good other than just, you know, painted me out to be this monster even more than I already was. And all of this happening just led to everything getting more humiliating and awkward at work and rumors were spreading like wildfire. I had people I didn't even know asking me questions or they'd like try to circumvent me and go to other people who they thought I was friends with to like ask them about it and get answers. And I mean, I did stay above all of it. So I'll give myself that. But it was just humiliating. Like you just have to ignore it and, you know, pretend like you're pretty much a moron and, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like a ignorance is bliss, like smiling idiot. I had times where management yelled at me and they said they disciplined me the second time I asked for an early release of my shift, which was the week after the assault. Like it was just like a really bad day. And I asked and had this horrible manager and he told me no. And starts yelling at me and saying how I had all, you know, I need to figure out my life and not have such a negative outlook on life and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, look, I don't know if you've seen the email that's gone out, which was probably the only time that the email, you know, was helpful to me. I was like, but I have like a legitimate reason for this. And he's like, well, I have days off, but you know what? Sometimes we just have to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and keep on going. And that's not this kind of thing. I'm not just mad because, you know, I had a bad experience with a guest. Like this is, legitimate. Um, my lead that day felt really, really bad because I started crying. Cause I was like, why is this guy yelling at me and da da da. But I mean, it wasn't his fault. His hands were tied. He told me, he's like, look, if it weren't for him, like I would send you home. Like, I'm sorry. I decided to call him and go, but like, I get it. Like it's, he was just doing his job. It wasn't his fault, but it's like, he's like, I feel bad. Cause I didn't expect it to turn into that. And he was in the office when I was getting, you know, screamed at on the phones and they always will grant like, like you can call in and be like, look, I had something come up today. Can I get like, um, a day off without points? Because the way that they reprimand you for attendance is points. So once you hit a certain amount of points, you get different disciplinary actions. And so there was a day I called in cause I had my police interview and they knew about it. Like they knew what it was. I told them and they told me that they couldn't give me the day off that I had to take points. But I mean, I know people that go- have gotten days off because without points because they got a flat tire on the freeway or, you know, just other like reasons that, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not legitimate reasons, but how are you going to equate yeah. getting a flat tire or missing your bus to an actual like legal thing? And that happened a few times where I called in for like a day off because I needed it related to that. Or I don't know if you remember when the whole measles outbreak happened a couple years ago. I didn't hear about that. (laughs) They had that huge measles outbreak. And if you even got a cold or you got sick, despite whether or not you had been vaccinated, you had to go get a measles test. So working there, because you're around obviously so many people from all different places, I would get sick, pretty sick. Like every two to three months, I'd get really sick. So I got this cold and they're like, oh, well, you need to go to the health department and get a measles test. So I'm like, well, are you guys going to still make me take points for this day off? Because that's not fair if you're forcing me to go. Oh, no, no, you'll be fine. So they didn't give it to me for the first day. But they're like, I went there. I go to the health department. I'm completely vaccinated, up to date on vaccines, but I still have to go get this freaking measles test. The county health department tells me, oh, yeah, well, we'll call you um, in three days with your results. But until you get your results, you have to stay in your house and you can't leave. So I'm like quarantined in my fucking house. And I'm like, so what am I supposed to do? So I'm calling work, telling them. And they're like, oh, yeah, since you have that, like, just bring in documentation and we'll make sure we erase those points. 
And <laughs> so I go into work to get those points erased and they refused and I tried fighting it and I lost and I was just like, awesome. That's so great. You know, whatever. So at this point I'm getting scared because I'm racking up close to the, the, the threshold of where I'm going to like get, you know, some sort of disciplinary action for it. And I'm like, why am I getting disciplined for stuff that I shouldn't be like, and then of course I get my measles test back negative. They're like, you're vaccinated. Why did you come? And I'm just like, Oh my God, you know, my head's just spinning at this point. So work had also gotten wind that my uncle had taken me to talk to a lawyer, but I did choose not to go through with it. Um, the lawyer was obviously more invested in going against the company versus Jay, which I get because they're going for money. But just the time and the emotional toll it would take was just so overwhelming. Like they told me it was like a three-year process and like you'd probably have to quit because it's going to get really bad. And I was just like, like while I appreciated with them meeting with me and everything my uncle did, it was just something that I decided that I couldn't do. So then, of course, thinking like, hey, I need to get my life back on track that May. I was like, I'm going to join the military. And (laughs) luckily, yeah. So I went and I talked to the Air Force recruiter and he talked me into going into the reserves and he's like, yeah, you can come back to your job and blah, blah, blah. So I was thinking, okay, maybe if I take a few months off, because, you know, you have to go to basic training, you have to go to school. I'm like, maybe when I come back, things will calm down. So I was supposed to, I was slated to leave in September Mm -hmm. of 2015. So that August, though. I had to quit before they fired me because I'm at work. It's uh, over 100 degrees outside. You're out working in the sun. You're around tens of thousands of people. So it's hot as fuck. And I was standing there and I kind of felt sick earlier that day. But and I'm just trying to get through like these next like two weeks because I'm like, look, I'm like right on that threshold of points I need to get through so I don't get fired because once I get back from military leave, all the points will be gone. And so it was actually kind of funny, too, because obviously they have to work with military. Um, You know, there's like all sorts of laws about it. And they even gave me a hard time about that. And I'm like, well, you know, like you have to honor this. So it wasn't really they were really like fighting me every step of the way. So I'm at work. I'm standing there and we're going to do some guest control thing for the fucking parade. And I like passed out in the middle of everything. They let me go back and drink water. They wouldn't let me go to the medical office, though, or, like, go home early. So I got, like, water and a Gatorade. So I'm, like, sitting there drinking it. And I was, like, sitting there for, like, an hour. But I mean, I just passed out. I didn't feel good. So then the guy comes over, the guy that was in charge, and he's talking to me. And he's like, I don't know if you need to take your 15-minute break again because you've already been sitting back here for an hour. And I'm like, well, like, why won't you let me go to medical? He's like, well, we really need you right now. We really need the manpower. And I'm like, one person isn't going to make a fucking difference. And quite frankly, guests don't listen to us anyway. So... I couldn't drive home. So my friend had to take me home from work. He took me to urgent care and it turns out I had a 104.5 degree fever. I think 105 is like when you die. So I was like, when it's up to 105, that means you have to seek medical attention because it could cause brain damage and it it could cause (laughs) issues. uh, If you don't bring your, your body temp down quickly. That's yeah, so I'm like, I'm like right on the threshold of like death, but okay. And so it didn't go away for a week, like this fever. Like I would pop like Tylenol or whatever, and it would bring it down to like 102, 103. But after the Tylenol wore off, it would just go up again. So I'm calling every single manager. I'm emailing them. I have all these e- urgent care and ER notes. And it turns out I just had some like freak virus. Like it was just a freak thing. But nobody was calling me back. Multiple phone calls, multiple emails, I would call the scheduling office and ask to talk to a manager. And there was miraculously, every time I called, no managers were in. 
And so I was just kind of like, okay. So finally I got better and I went in and it was my day off and I had two weeks till I was going to go on military leave. So I go talk to this manager and he's like, well, we already processed your paperwork to fire you. So you can come in and risk having someone talk to you before you leave or you can quit. Well, fuck this shit. I'm over it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to quit. And he's like, well, you know, you have to come in for the next two weeks anyways. And I knew that wasn't true because I'm like, well, I'm an at-will employee. Like, I can literally just, like, stop showing up and, like, there's nothing you can do. So he tries to guilt me into it. And he's like, isn't your heart with the happiest place on earth? You're never going to find another job like this. Well, I hope not. This last year has been hell, but okay. After that, though, uh, a couple weeks later, I found out, though, that everything I suspected was true, that they were trying to get me to quit or just to rack up enough points where I'd be fired so they didn't have to deal with my situation anymore. Mm -hmm. And they obviously and then, promoted Groper Claws, so. <laughs> yeah, I was like, cool, you know, this is so great. Uh, I guess I want to say between, like, when this whole assault happened to me leaving in September. So like October, 2014 to August, 2015, I had a lot of issues obviously come of this. Um, I did have one episode of sleep paralysis, which was completely terrifying. Like I know it's kind of a different experience for everybody, but for mine, it's like, I was like laying in bed, you know, you can't move. Like it's like your mind's awake, but your body's not, or maybe it's, the other way. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was horrifying. And like, there was like, the, I kept like feeling like there was like this black, like shadow man thingy silhouette, like in my apartment walking around. And it was just completely horrifying. Like I'd never experienced that before or since then. And like, I never want to again. It was the scariest thing. Well, hopefully you, you heard the, the other episode I did about that. So <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm God. That's only happened to me once. It was completely like horrifying. Never again. And then I kind of stopped. I would, I'm a very avid like runner and I'm a total gym rat and I stopped working out as much. I stopped running as much. Like we're talking like I cut my 10 mile runs down to, you know, like two, three mile runs, which for me is that's like a big indication, like that there's something wrong. So it's like, if I don't go to the gym, my husband's like, are you feeling okay? Like what's going on with you? Cause you're always, um, you're always going 100%. So if you're even going 75%, which most of us are only doing about 15. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like really, it was really bad. I mean, as awful as that place was, like at least there were good people, you know, yeah. that came out of it. But I think the worst thing that happened to me throughout that was I developed a severe, I don't know if severe, I feel like it was um, drinking problem. And at the time, you know, I'm like, I'm just young and having a good time. You're young and you're masking something. I don't know. We all drink. We all have like party times. But for you to go from like no drinking to, you know, off the charts, to me, it's like, eh, I think you're deadening the pain a little. That's just my analysis. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, that sounds about pretty spot on. You know, I lived in downtown Fullerton. I'm like, oh, I buy all these bars. So it was St. Patrick's Day 2015. And one of my buddies from work, um, we we're like, hey, yeah, we should go hang out and do something. So we ended up going out to the bars and I just got obliterated. And that was probably the first time I had been drunk in several months. Um, cause I wasn't really drinking. Like I drank quite a few times between like the actual salt in October and Christmas. 
And then I stopped. And then St. Patrick's Day just kind of let it all go. So then it was like, oh, that was so much fun. Let's go out again next weekend and do it. And I'm like sitting there and like the only thing that was getting me through that week was, yes, like next weekend I'm going to go out and get drunk again. And it's like I couldn't just go out and have like one or two drinks. Like I had to go out and get shit-faced. And it wasn't hard for me to do that because I was such a lightweight. And then once I was shit-faced, if I started, felt like I was coming down from that high a little bit, like it was more and more and more. And like, I just look back on some of the things I did and it's so humiliating and so embarrassing to have to admit, like I didn't do anything criminal. So like, that's good, but just like really risky and wild and stupid things I did. I'm lucky to be alive. Like I would go off and hang out with random people I meet in a fucking bar and you know, drunk 21 year old girl in a bar who's so drunk she can't even see straight. Can't even remember my name half the time. Like that's just a recipe for disaster. And none of those people were ever as drunk as I was, you know, I'm so lucky. The the, the irony is the first time you ever drink, something bad happens, but then a million times you'd get drunk and nothing bad happens. Uh, It's And it's by somebody that I thought I knew and trusted and all these strangers and nothing bad. Like, I'm just so unbelievably lucky. I can't even begin to tell you. Like, I look back and like, even just thinking about it, like, is just so, I can't even think about it because I'm like, it's so embarrassing and humiliating. Like, I can't believe I did these things. And like, there were times I would drink alone in my apartment. And I'm like, that's bad. I am 21 years old drinking alone with my three cats. Like that is not. Yeah. That's, that's what you do when you get old. <laughs> you drink alone yeah, with your cats. And, like, and it was bad. It was to the point where I would just go and I would buy like a bottle of vodka and then I would buy like juice and I would pour a bunch of vodka in a, in a freaking half the time. Like I would like get like a sippy cup or like something with like a straw, just pour a bunch of vodka in there, pour a bunch of juice in there, mix it up. So I couldn't taste the alcohol and just drink. So it's obviously drinking to get drunk. I want to say the last time I drank was really, really drank was probably last April. And that just ended horribly and just made me realize that I had to kind of confront everything that I had been avoiding. Um, I was so drunk. It was at a a barracks party. So I'm sure you remember those days. And I ended up getting so drunk that even like the alcoholic Marines were telling, we weren't married yet. So my boyfriend at the time before we got married, we're telling him like, Hey, you need to bring her, you need to take her like home because she's out of control. And I hadn't eaten anything really all day. So all I really remember about that night was I was in my friend's room sobbing in the corner of the room, just crying and talking about everything that had happened, even though it had been like, what, a year and a half at this point. And just like talking about it. And he's just kind of sitting there like, "Um, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Waking up in a shower where my boyfriend was trying to wash my hair because I had thrown up all over myself and it was like blue and green because you know smart idea calypso and vodka sounds like a really good idea I couldn't get out of bed for like two days like I was so sick like I don't know how I didn't die that night but that's when I was like okay this is a problem and this needs to stop and just like knowing that I was sitting there you know sobbing about every shitty thing that had happened because there had been a couple other things that had happened in that time and so then I guess my course of action for now is to just not drink because by everything insane like I realize now I'm okay 
you know, I'm happy. I'm healthy. My husband's amazing. I have had a lot of great support from my aunt and my uncle and, you know, other family and friends. Um, I'm probably in the best shape I've ever been in in my life. And ironically enough, I've been fairly successful so far with my military career. So I think that's that's all right. You know, I'm a reservist, so it's a little different. But um, my husband's active duty, so yeah. I guess it never really goes away. But, you know, I mean, there's still up and downs, but I'm definitely, I feel like, in much more of a clear place now than I was. And having that clarity to just kind of like be able to sort through things and know that it's not my fault. Like I definitely don't have like those like intrusive thoughts about what happened anymore. I, it's, I obviously it still comes and goes, but like it used to be like all the time, like that's all I could think about. And now it's just maybe like once in a while, or if I'm like watching something on TV or reading something on the news that like brings that up. Awesome. Oh my God. I'm so excited. And again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This whole experience was extremely therapeutic, which sounds bizarre, but it was. Somebody told me I should get paid like a therapist. If only, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a great night and uh, I will send you an email with the link when, it, when I post this. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. All right. Bye.